Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you're listening and watching another epic episode of Untold Stories, where twice a week together, for the past three years, we've been, you know, through the bull markets and the bear markets, through all the craziness, uh, we've been able to figure out what's been going on before the rest of the world figures out what's been going on, just by having conversations with with some of the, the most brilliant people, the brightest crowns in the box, to understand how this movement truly came to be, where are we right now, where are we going for the future, and uh, and everything in between, and, and a lot of fun and all the cool stories. You guys know I just uh, came back. This is good to be back home in Florida. Uh, I was, was over in, in Cannes at the film festival, and then meaning all like the Web3 and film projects out there and potentially launching my own. And then I was out in Monaco at Coin Agenda, and I've never been more bullish on our industry. I'm really excited. I never I never go to conferences. I haven't gotten like specifically gone to events and meeting people in a long time, I, but I feel so reinvigorated. Going to be heading over to Consensus in Austin in a few weeks, or uh, two weeks, I think. Um, it, that's gonna, that has a really great feel to it. Everyone I know is going to be there. Uh, you have Bitcoiners and crypto folks, but it seems like more of like an adult-related type festival. So it's going to be like everyone working together. So I'll be speaking. Oh man, I'll be speaking on on Saturday. I think it's June 11th with my super good friend Jared Kenna, who actually got one of the people that got me into Bitcoin like over 11 years ago. He had the first Bitcoin exchange called Trade Hill, and then Adam B. Levine is going to be moderating, who had the first Bitcoin podcast ever called Let's Talk Bitcoin. Him and Vitalik worked together at Bitcoin Magazine before Vitalik went to tell uh, a lot of stories, went on to found Ethereum. We'll be telling a lot of stories. If you can't make it, I'll be recording it and we'll release it as a show. But um, I'm excited to talk to my guest today. You you don't know him, but you know the company and you realize, you know, you you guys know them because they're pretty much one of the, the, the top backend infrastructure that's been powering DeFi, GameFi, TradFi, you know, all the Fi that, you know, you could think of. Uh, Michael Shalov, thank you so much. The, the CEO of Fireblocks, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Thanks, Charlie, for having me. Like, there's so much. You guys uh, uh, have helped secure over $2.5 trillion in, in digital assets. Your clients are everyone from wallet infrastructure financial institutions, neobanks, DeFi startups, and you've basically figured out a way in a compliant way to like de-risk uh, uh, custody, but at the same time, not lose out on like the speed and efficiency that blockchains provide for us. Uh, is that like accurate? Yeah. I mean, I think that this is uh, usually how we position ourselves. The guys that manage to to bring you know security and uh, security convenience and speed together, right? And uh, usually those are those are actually contradicting uh, uh, terms or ideas. And uh, I think what Fireblocks is is really is is sort of this kind of unique solution, unique platform that is able to to bring the convenience, the speed, the security into a single platform and will help people to do it in a scalable and compliant way. Let me take a step back here. What I've noticed happens a lot, and it's my fault too, is that we get overexcited and we start overpromising and underdelivering. Uh, the world expects us to have this Web three. The world expects us to to be ready for all the technologies to recreate the Federal Reserve to do all these different things. 
Uh, are we ready for that? I think that from a technical standpoint, uh, there are certain gaps, right? Uh, to to unleash it to its sort of full uh, capacity, right? Um, but I don't think that we are at the point where we can't work towards that, right? I, I think that there uh -huh. is. Uh, what what are what are some of the biggest issues we have right now? Is probably just the scalability, right, of the the blockchains and the stability of them uh, in certain cases. And you know, while of course we still have a way to go with um, you know some of the EVM-based blockchains, whether it's uh, Ethereum or you know the layer twos like uh, Arbitrum and Polygon, uh, we uh, an avalanche, right? We still have. Um, you know, they're not in maximum capacity, right? So I think that there is no reason not to do a lot of those things right now and build on those platforms a lot of the financial applications that need to be built. Yeah. And as we basically building it, the, the layer one protocols will be able to improve the TPS and the stability, right? This is an active area of development. Um, I think that every technology sort of some being created on day one, able to handle, you know, trillion transactions per day, right? Yeah. The, the, there is sort of this kind of gradual maturity that takes uh, several years, but that doesn't mean that uh, you can sort of start the adoption of that technology uh, with, what's like, you know, the yeah. reasonable leap of faith that those problems are going to be solved. If you talk to like some of the early internet entrepreneurs like yourself, we had a, a, the founder of CNET, we've had, you know, David Chaum, we've had people that are referenced in like Satoshi's white paper. And if you, if you talk to them, they will all admit that the internet as we know it today and what we're even using for this encrypted communication and file storage and how, who's incentivized by this, even this video stream and audio stream that we're creating and who gets produced, you know, who's producing it and how it's all, all the providence behind it and, and all the people that can profit from this potential show, even like all this was created on internet that was like put together with scotch tape and, and band-aids as, as they would say, it's like, wasn't meant for that because the demand was so great that the web two world uh, was always kind of playing catch up. Then you have companies like yourself that are allowing us to to build on the offense. Do you think we're? Am I wrong? Like, are we are we building out now uh, with the right tools and the right infrastructure to really to really be able to preserve all these type of freedom of speech and not just create a, something else that's the same as the old? So I think it requires some level. Do we have the tools? The answer for that is yes. I think mm -hmm. that the main uh, question is how do you avoid taking shortcuts that uh, eventually default into uh, the the way that the old system is being created, right? And I think that it does require a level of discipline. It requires a level of uh, sort of, uh, you know, looking into the future, and not sort of compromising on, uh, you know, sometimes doing the, the the things in an easy way, right? Because there are inherent, you know, f philosophical ideas here that um, if they're not being preserved on uh, at uh, 
at the inception or at those phases of building the entire ecosystem, we clearly can end up in, in the old world um, or something that looks much, much, much similar uh, as the old world, right? Yeah. Um, and we interact with players, I would say, like, with maybe like you know the broader spectrum right of the participants in this ecosystem uh we can one day we can be uh, uh morning in the meeting with uh, some of the biggest incumbent banks in the world right and in the afternoon we will meet with the uh most uh, exciting you know game yeah the projects artists that are working on the next project right and there is you know when you do this uh in the same day or, or like in, in, in multiple consecutive meetings, you, you're actually getting this sense of, of the dissonance, right? That sometimes exists in this industry that um, you have people that truly grasp the the future of, uh, of this, right? And why this is potentially one of the most impactful, um, in fact, impactful trends on, the future of you know the internet and in some ways i i do think one of the most uh, interesting uh, social experiments right that they've uh, <laughs> been conducted in the in the last couple of uh in, in the in the last uh i don't know maybe like a few decades and and on the other hand you have essentially people that sort of looking at the most of the current uh financial uh basically like being able to capture the 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 current financial opportunity, right, in this yeah. space that is predominantly speculative, right, and that essentially just leads you to taking uh, or, or operating under ideas that are not com- really compatible with the future of uh, of uh, this ecosystem. So people have ideas that are not really compatible. Like what? Like what type of things are people trying to build? I guess that we can't we can't build. One of the basic things to to look at blockchain, right, is that this concept that the the essence of 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 blockchain is a clearing system that allows you to transfer value without intermediaries, right? Which is something that is quite unique because when you look at the way that value is being transferred in uh, in any other way, yeah, yeah, in in the, in the old world, right? Then you always need to have some almost like a pyramid of intermediaries that uh, yeah. the, their trust basically is uh, anchored into one another, right? And then creates all the deficiency and also to a certain extent the uh, single points of failure, right? Now you do see a lot of people basically coming in and and say, okay, so what people are doing right now? They want to trade the uh, Bitcoin and all kind of altcoins, yeah. sort of centralize it on. Uh, a single when you um, put everything in some kind of, kind of cold storage and uh, will uh, operate a centralized exchange uh, with uh, under collateralized uh, lending and so on and and that that that's probably very similar to the basically taking the concept of how the existing financial system works right uh, from central depositories to central to to you know the big custodian banks to the prime brokers and so on and they were basically try to apply it to 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 this ecosystem whereas i think that anyone who looks into how this actually is supposed to work right 
you understand that it actually people should have sort of like their assets on chain. They should be able to interact with smart contracts, with DeFi protocols, and so on. And we need to figure out uh, how to build uh, if we want to do some level of uh, undercollateralized uh, lending. Probably the you know the, the future-proof version of that is to yeah. be able to deploy an on-chain identity, right, and some kind of on-chain um, credit profile proffering and things like that, right? So you're sort of supposed to build towards that rather than try to take this beautiful technology and fold it into how the old world uh, um, is uh, is doing things. And I think that people are starting to get it, right? So, yeah. so DeFi, um, uh, especially like, you know, the, the, the client types that we're interacting with, I think that we're now starting to see them more and more excited about DeFi and the and the capabilities around smart contracts. They understand the value of tokenization. They understand the value of stable coins. They are starting to understand the value of uh, non fungible tokens. And um, yeah, and 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 definitely things are moving into the right direction. Who who are your like clients? Who come? Do you, do you have startups come to you? And what type of things do you do you help them with? Yeah. So I mean. As I mentioned, we're basically operating uh, in a uh, across the board, right? We're operating uh, across the the full spectrum of I think ninety percent of our business is what we will define startup and small crypto native fintech companies, right? That they're coming to us to work with them on the on the project that uh, is either pre-launch or post-launch, and a lot of time, by the way, you know those are actually the clients that we have the best partnership with. Is that they were operating on some different platform from yeah. a from a custody wallet management uh, settlement and so on, and then they're coming to us when they're basically hitting the wall in terms of their operations, right? And then they replatform to Fireblocks to sort of unleash their growth. That, that, that those are, I would say, our most successful partnerships. But we definitely. All, all, always excited to partner with people as early as possible. This is like ninety percent of our client uh, client base. Um, the others are really we do partner with a lot of the traditional financial institutions. That um, right now I would say about 15 percent of our of our client base, and uh, those are either traditional banks, asset managers, and so on. And you know the unique thing about them, I would say, and why. In my view, they are critical to the ecosystem, right? They are the bridge, right? You know, eventually you do need to, uh, for, for this ecosystem to really grow, you need to tokenize and bring the assets that uh, they are currently custodying, right? Yeah. In the traditional space. So, so you need them to, to tokenize them and bring them to the blockchain. And in addition to that, I do think that in order to get to a mass um, mass consumer adoption or uh, sort of uh, break break out or, or or to cross the chasm right to yeah. the to the early majority um they're sort of a very important participant because they do have uh, the know-how in terms of um how to service those clients. They do have the trust with those clients and, and uh, they can abstract a lot of the co complexities to those clients. Yeah, these are like 
originators or, or those who are like going to securitize uh, an asset that's already off blockchain and put it onto a blockchain. Yeah, exactly. But, but they also they also have a fairly big client base, right? That sometimes yeah. is is unreachable if you're a small startup. They we we also need to keep in mind that usually to create a meaningful outcome, you need to bring a lot of parties together. For example, you need to bring the regulators, you need to bring the tax authorities, you need to bring a lot of the crazy. People, yeah, a lot of people that uh, are eventually important to create something that is stable and that has mass adoption. And for a small, for the smaller startup, it's a very significant uphill battle that I wouldn't recommend. Right, I wouldn't recommend a small startup try to take take on a battle and and try to to change the regulation. And um, whereas, if you're a big incumbent, usually you already have that relationship. You make me think about you make me think about this problem that I've been trying to figure out over over a long time when it comes to the future of like tokens, right? As so you talk about like breaking new through industry, breaking in to new industries with big client bases and being able to do uh uh um be like securitized assets or traditional type of streamlined data when it comes to maybe commodities markets or lending markets or you know gaming and and really anything but the problem is from what i understand you have the traditional like token world that allows everyone to own a token right anyone from the lowest level of the low to the highest level of the high and when you own a token it's it's an equal playing field you have an equal opportunity to to be in the same room as everyone else and to earn the same amount of 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 money to 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 invest in the same right of things and to get potential profit potential but the way our regulations are built now and every single company runs into the same thing that unless you're like gaming right and i mean like not like gambling i mean like just like regular gaming unless you're gaming or it's like a meme coin any type of hint of like profit expectation or security, or securitizing an asset, or anything, you're already going to run into like SEC or federal government related issues. And if you're a small startup, you can't do that. Or you have to go and what ends up happening is your lawyers are going to tell you, well, it's a walled garden. And there are these security token markets where you can prove you're a uh, uh, accredited investor. And they're changing the laws on who is even now an accredited investor. And it's a very small playing field now of people that can own these tokens. And then even when they can own these tokens, they can't even remove it because in the blockchain is built into the technology that you can't remove it from this walled garden, right? Or forbidden city type of thing. So if that's the case, then the ethos of decentralized finance is not decentralized. It's permissioned. It's inside of this place that only certain people can get into. What's the answer? I mean, what's how how do we have a future here with that? The question around how do you bring consumer protection into let, let me just frame it in a slightly different way, right? Yeah. I think that the main question here and the reason why the regu- the the lawyers and the regulators are are all over this problem, right, is the question around consumer protection, right? And I think that uh, just looking back uh, three weeks. Uh, three weeks back, right, at the whole Luna situation, we can appreciate why consumer protection is uh, 
is so important. There is one one world in which you know a hedge fund will lose a significant amount of assets that uh, you know I'll be honest, I think that uh, usually happens uh, day in and day out and most people don't really care about it. And there is a world in which you have a lot of retail consumers that this was their only uh, that, uh, this was basically their only, uh, income or their all, the, all of their savings, right? That all of it basically goes to zero. Right? Yeah, that's the biggest. That's what they're yeah. protecting against. Yeah, and 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 I think you know, I think that uh, most people, right, will agree that we need to have some protection against that happening, right? Because if 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 there is anything that history tells us, right, is that in completely unregulated markets where consumer protection is not is non-existent, right? Uh, those things just just keep happening for a variety of reasons, whether this is a deliberate fraud, where this is just miscalculation, whether it's systemic risk, and so on, right? So I think that this is, a, this is actually an important topic that, to be honest, if nothing else, I think that the regulators have uh, been very slow to uh, react or, yes. or provide any guidance for crypto. And therefore, what they created is they didn't create any any guidance in terms of how this is being done and uh, uh, rather they basically created a complete um you know regulatory uncertainty that effectively what it leads to is for the you sometimes right the less responsible players playing there, there rather than having the really responsible players right because the responsible players want to to see some level of certainty or some some level of clarity now like in the last 10 to 12 years or so in the industry it seems like the ones that have gotten regulatory clarity are these just big companies like the coinbases and the gemini's of the world and the small startups get regulated away and i know it's it's great and it's brought a lot of amazingness uh to our industry but i'd love to see more lobbying for like an, an an open way for DeFi to exist, and I don't know the answer. Oh, uh, yeah, so so maybe let me let me talk through. I I think some solutions that I believe are are reasonably successful, right? So I think that the the regulator is supposed to do a couple of things, right? The the first way the first thing is that which doesn't exist today is to require disclosures, right? To basically to require uh, a project instead of. Uh, providing all kind of uh, uh you know bold architecture right to also provide people the uh the disclosures that uh, around what what it is you know what is the risk and why they should or shouldn't uh, engage in uh, in this activity and you know many times we most times we just don't see that right the second thing that uh, is really uh sh- should be carefully considered is really how do we you know, provision the the access to it. And instead of, I, I believe that the future of it is instead of providing this kind of walled or permissioned, uh, uh, you know, those segregated and permission walls, right, is actually through some level of programmable compliance, right? What does it mean? That the advantage of using on-chain identity, right, and the ability to build metadata into into that identity essentially you know how much you you know are you a high net worth individual according to u.s law or to european law whatever you are 
you know, uh, whatever you qualify to have access to certain uh, products or not, that that basically that information can be can be codified into your wallets, right? And then we basically can have the DeFi protocols um, inquiry, uh, the DeFi protocols or the assets themselves, right? Basically inquiry, what's your status and are you allowed or not allowed to access that? And then we basically getting this kind of really transformative market with certain level of protections or certain level of access that are codified on chain. And, uh, you know, maybe certain people will be allowed to have access to certain products that are extremely risky, right? And they don't carry any disclosures. And other people will be uh, uh, will be allowed to, to access uh, things that, uh, like, I don't know, USDC, right? That uh, yeah. it's very, it's very clear, you know, use you would use USDC or DAI, something that is collateralized or over collateralized, and you can, and you basically understand exactly what you, you you're getting on the other end, right? So I think that that this is the part of the beauty of this technology that if it's done properly, you can actually use the same DeFi protocols, you can use the same DeFi machinery to interact between them, and um, and uh, you know, and, and I honestly think this is where things are heading. Another really important aspect here is actually that I think that the best way for the regulators to accommodate the point that you uh, raised of like why, what's what's the main point? Is that for Coinbase or Gemini, they can spend, you know, a million or $5 million, right? To get the right licenses to be uh, regulated. For a small startup, this is a legal expenditure that uh, unlikely they can spend, especially not when they raise their their seed, right? And I think that for for regulators to uh, foster that innovation, one of the most uh, one of the most uh, useful tools is actually creating sandboxes, right? Where people can yeah. come, they can innovate, they can innovate in production, right? They can basically give a certain, uh, they, they can basically um give exposure to to individuals into what they're building but there is a certain uh, scale to which they can uh, reach using the sandbox right so if it fails it doesn't take you know 40 billion dollars with it it will take something that people will say okay this is a an amount that we can either lose, we can insure, we can uh, we are comfortable with with, with with this kind of failure rather than something that is really systemic. Yeah, it's a good point, and it goes back to your like disclosures idea too. But um, well, there's no but. Is there a way that I could only work with businesses and use products that use fireblocks? Like this would go towards self-regulation because if you would offer like a badge that on their website or like a, your client list or something, not your client list, but like there's a way because then we start to become like a self-regulatory organization. Because so we, then, offer, we offer the badges. You do? We have, yeah, we we'd offer the badges. I don't think that uh, too many of our clients are using uh, should. Uh, badges, but yeah, that's, that's something that we do encourage uh, our clients to do. I also, by the way, think that um, 
we need to make sure that there are more than um, sort of, uh, you know, that, that, that the standard that Fireblock sets is something that uh, people can access uh, regardless to Fireblocks or not, right? I think that yeah. a certain level of security and protection is important in this industry. I don't think that we want to, again, I think that we, we do want to uh, create some level of uh, decentralization, right? In terms of, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the, the security and the custody, but clearly to maintain a very high degree of um, fund protections, of operational protection for, for clients. So is this something like if you had a client that wanted to send profit dividends to all token holders, is that something that you guys would help them do? do? Yeah, so of course, this is this is uh, one of the use cases. Uh, we do have uh, uh, DAOs and DeFi projects that they use us to measure, to, to manage their treasury. It's actually a pretty common- uh, And you build uh, out the technology for it as well? Yeah. That, so that's that's actually a pretty simple use case for uh, for fireblocks where you would hold the treasury of uh, of um, um, the DAO or you will hold the treasury of uh, of the DeFi project and you will basically distribute it and control it through fireblocks. This is so cool because there's a lot there's a lot of different like uh, uh, implementations of this that that people can do and and you can help them build out their uh, their technologies. I was just on on fireblocks.com. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of hacks in, especially the last 6 months. It's like you wake up in the morning and another one just yesterday mirror mirror protocol uh there was oh my it's, it, we all knew the Terra Luna thing but that wasn't really a hack but that was something that fell apart. Just on Sunday actually my friend called me up and he's like Charlie I have an emergency. The brother of my developer broke into our staking contract and stole all the money. Um, it, it seems like this is happening all the time. How are you helping protect against this? And like, what hacks are we not seeing? Yeah, so I think the, we definitely seeing a, a so shift. <laughs> yeah, a shift for, for of the hackers from the layer that uh, we invested heavily in securing, which is the base layer of the wallets and the transfers. That uh, this is where Fireblocks uh, known for. We also created a lot of. Uh, a utility for securing interaction with DeFi protocols. Uh, there are uh, still a lot of the, the practice of securing the DeFi protocols themselves, right? The the, the smart contracts in terms of uh, both uh, pre-deployment audit, right? So as the developers develop yeah. the smart contract, making sure that it doesn't contain vulnerabilities, and also real-time uh, real-time analysis, real-time defenses, real-time security, depending how you want to to call it. This is this is an area that is currently in, I would say, active development. There are probably around fifteen or twenty startups right now that are focusing on creating um, tools that uh, analyze those protocols uh, either before they are deployed or in real time after they are being deployed and give you as an in, both as a protocol developer and um, or an investor right that deposits fund, funds or a user of the protocol right that deposits funds they will give you um they, they will give you basically a real time information if you are exposed to certain risks right so 
it's an active development. I don't think um, you know the, the, those solutions are somewhat early, but it's definitely a problem that uh, is being tackled as we speak. Yeah, it's um, a lot of it comes down to either the projects themselves building out, like whether it's a smart contract that hasn't been uh, audited or whatever, or there's someone who has insecure access to like key management. It's not multi-sig. And that's something that you guys help with that you got something that you guys offer. So like it would prevent these things, but how do you, okay. So then the second thing is you have these protocols that launch that on a, on a blockchain level break. So just so everyone understands you have different types of like, you have uh, at a blockchain level, then you have like the actual business or the, the smart contract themselves. And then the biggest, and this is honestly like, I don't know how you solve this. And this is something that if this, if this can be solved, really will bring our industry forward is you have uh, 30 plus good blockchain networks now. Uh, I would say, you know, you have from, from Bitcoin to Ethereum to Solana, Stellar, Cardano. Then you have all the protocols that build on top of them. What's been breaking is these bridges, right? Like wormhole finance or whatever to go from, to have one asset to go to the other. Is so my question is like, what's going to change? Are, is it going to be new blockchains will launch and then they'll have like the Cosmos, maybe like SDK in there. So what that is, you know, for, for the listeners, it's, it's the ability from on a blockchain level for it to connect with other blockchains. But what about blockchains that don't launch without that, that they have to rely on these bridges? Or will you have protocols that sit on top of that? Like, what's the future of this? We can't have a thousand internets that launch or to use a crude example. I, I think that uh, the quad uh, multi-chain question is uh, an interesting question that I'm not sure that I have. Uh, Same, uh, that's what I was asking you. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure that I have the the answer of uh, to how this is going, how this thing is going to look in a couple of years from now, but I do think that there will be um, at, at least like a handful of winners, right? There will be, there are reasons why you need different uh, blockchain uh, approaches or concepts that are optimized for different things. And it's unclear that you can eventually bring all those use cases into one optimal solution, right? So there, that, that's one, uh, that, that's probably one view uh, on that. Uh, but right now, I mean, clearly we have, a lot of runners in this race that are competing on who will be able to solve some of the most acute problems that we yeah. talked about at the beginning of the podcast of how to, how to increase the, the transaction throughput, how to, to increase the ability to build those smart contracts and so on. Um, I think that uh, will we still need bridges? Uh, maybe, yes. Uh, I think that the practice around bridges in the same way that... Uh, um, we've seen around maybe wallets five years ago, four years ago, is still immature, right? So we still, because it's such an early um, engineering uh, challenge, right? That uh, uh, we, we still didn't ca- came with the perfect uh, architecture that makes those bridges secure. And definitely from every unfortunate attack, like we've seen with uh, Wormhole or we've seen with Ronin, so on, you basically learn what not to do at the expense of many times uh, hundreds of millions of dollars that are being lost. So it's very fortunate. It's a very 
expensive lesson, but um, we definitely, um, I, I, I think that uh, engineering a secure bridge is definitely something that we'll probably see in, I don't know, next uh, um, 12 or 18 months, uh, a pretty good, a, a, a pretty good architecture of how to do that. I'm working with a company that's trying to do that on top of Bitcoin. So, so I hope, you know, the, the ability to like lock up assets and go like a secure bridge, uh, that would be the key. It's really hard to do. It's really, really, really hard to do. Yeah, it's really hard to do because you essentially have um, a single um, a single pile of, uh, of of this of those assets sitting exposed over there in some specific address, and usually the logic to control those bridges is somewhat complicated, right? So, given the fact that we haven't figured out exactly what is the optimal architecture for it yet, um, that those bridges became a honeypot for attackers. What originally excited you to get into this industry full time? Um, and, and, and like, how do you convince people to come over and work for you? Because I just saw the news. You guys brought on someone from the Bank of England who uh, worked on um, uh, fintech there. You know, how do you con- and to work on some of your uh, central bank digital currency infrastructure? I mean, how do you get people excited to come over? Yeah, uh, Varun uh, joined us from uh, Bank of England. Um, so, so I think it, it it actually goes back to what excited us to to start the Firebox. The idea of the the, the basic idea that uh, this is going to transform financial services, and this is going to be one of the most important um, ecosystems, right? That are being Built and developed uh, to to replace the way that uh, money value moves. Oh my god! Um, and, uh, and and that's a that's a, I, I think anyone will agree that if uh, this is going to happen, it's a huge and a very excited opportunity for a lot of people. And we also and also Fireblocks being sort of at the forefront of the of some of the technical breakthroughs and developments that uh, also uh, excite people. Right. So. Really, the, our, our mission to to create a, a platform that allows uh, any business to securely and efficiently uh, engage uh, and build in a scalable way in this space, I think, excites a lot of people. And I think that our, our track record of uh, delivering of that, uh, you know, uh, is also attracting the best people to to come and join us. So, I. But my my personal experience is that as long as people sort of buy in into the future of crypto and Web3, they would usually find that Fireblocks is one of the most exciting places to uh, work to, to promote that cause, right? Because the the question that the, the, the question if this has to be done in a secure way, the question uh, if this should somehow merge with being very yeah. usable and efficient um it's it's pretty trivial that the answer for both of them are yes and you know it basically comes full circle to where we started uh, uh, the podcast when do you when do you want potential projects or entrepreneurs to come to you like so you have those who have designed their what they want to do maybe they've created like a funds flow document or something or they've drawn it out 
should they go out and try to build something, a minimum viable, you know, project and then product and then come to you? Do you want to hear from people when they just have the idea and they need help building it? What's your, when do you get, what, who's your perfect client? Yeah, so I, I would say the following. Right now, uh, we usually need, uh, we would usually would like to have teams that they have some uh, minimal funding, right? So they are basically in the seed phase and they're, they're uh, building their MVP. I think that this is the point, the, the, the optimal point in time to come and engage us. Um, and um, as we basically building towards something that will be well way more self-service why right? that we will be able to hopefully engage with people even earlier in the process when they're doing their ideation or they're developing but fortunately right now and i would say that uh, we do need people that already sort of organized into this kind of seed formation to to come and work with us amazing amazing Michael Shalov, thank you so much, Fireblocks. I really appreciate taking the time and coming on Untold Stories um, and giving us a lot of this insight into what people are, are heads down and building right now. Thanks so much, Charlie. Uh, thanks for inviting me.